Welcome to Top Landing Gear and to our series of interviews from the 2021 Bournemouth Air Festival. With the 2021 air show season in the UK drawing to a close, what better time to speak to Red 6 John Bond as he brings the curtain down on his four-year stint with the Red Arrows. As Red 6, Bondi was synchro leader and also choreographed a brand new manoeuvre for the Reds called Boomerang. We also spoke to former Red 1, now OC the Red Arrows, Wing Commander David Montenegro and Red 10 squadron leader Adam Collins. Well, we've spoken to a number of the Red Arrows uh, over the last year or so. Uh, delighted here at the Bournemouth uh, Air Festival to be joined by John Bond, who's a synchro leader. And in his final year, John, really good to see you. And congratulations on everything that you've contributed to the display over the four years you've been in it. Thank you very much. Uh, as ever, it's, it's always an honour to be part of the Red Arrows and to get four years in is, is not the normal. So, yeah. albeit the pandemic sort of made that decision for us yeah. last year, um, four years on a on the team such as the Red Arrows is an utter privilege and it's been a joy to to have four years and I'll be very sad when it all finishes in about two months time so making the most of it sunshine here at Bournemouth uh, makes it all the better and uh, hopefully we'll put on a couple of belting shows today and tomorrow and then uh, the last few weeks of the season yeah it's amazing isn't it I mean Bournemouth I guess for you this year has been your biggest display has it yeah I, I think so in terms of in terms of people I mean there's hundreds of thousands of people that the numbers have been banded around or how many people attend the show every year mm. um, and I don't think this year will be any exception especially with, with the pandemic and what's gone on so uh, I'm expecting you know we had big crowds yesterday but I'm expecting Saturday, Sunday to be, uh, to be really busy and, and people just haven't seen us over yeah. the last um, sort of 18 months so um, it's great for us to, to go and show that we're, we're still around and you know, showing what, what we love doing and, and what yeah. the public love to see. So, um, really looking forward to it. And uh, I'm hoping these blue skies stay. The forecast <laughs> yeah. looked a bit dodgy a couple of days ago, but yeah. um, it, it, looks, it looks absolutely glorious now. It was a bit hazy yesterday. Very hazy. Could you change there. the colour of your smoke? Yeah, we can. So, <laughs> you see, um, you see that um, we, we adapt to the weather conditions. So, yeah. I, I get advice from, from Red 10 on the ground. So, stuff like the heart. Uh, we didn't quite get it right yesterday, but um, it was from you get different perspective where you're looking. So, so for me, all I could see was blue sky because I'm above the haze layer, so above version. Whereas red uh, ten from the ground looks up. Yeah. All he can see is sort of that grey white sort of cloud. So he, you know, he will suggest to me a colour um, from his perspective, and and you always will take what what he said because essentially he's where the crowd is. So that's what's going to. What could you have changed? If you'd have known that was going to be the case, would you? Have... I think I think yesterday it, it, it was probably got a little bit bluer as the show went on. Right. So I think I think a white heart we probably could have yeah. could have stood out a little bit better than the red yesterday. But uh, at, at the end of the day, you can only really see what <laughs> yeah. what you go on at the time, and, and there's only certain times where where red ten has the ability to to tell us actually yeah. it's this heart because there's a lot of communication going on between the jets and if. Red Ten then steps on <laughs> steps on another aircraft. It, it, it you know you can get a bit dangerous. So um, you know there, there's various things that these sorts of weather conditions. You know it may look a lovely blue sky to someone just looking straight up, but actually the sort of the lateral visibility across the horizon is, is a little bit poorer. That's really interesting. I thought I was joking when I said, could you not change the colour of the smoke? Because I know you you change your you can change the display you're giving mid display, Absolutely. a bit of flat or rolling or 
full display, yeah. which I think is incredible in itself that you can change that mid-display. <laughs> I didn't realize yeah. that a, yeah. an additional burst of blue or red might yeah. be an option. We only have a certain amount of smoke, so we've only got yeah. one minute of blue and red, yeah. so we have to limit that, and that comes all into the design of display. We've got five minutes of white. So if we do a red heart, for example, then I know if we have to do a fly pass at the end of the show, I'm probably going to run out of red. So uh, then we flip. If we have to do a post-show fly pass, yeah. we change the colours of the side slightly. Gosh. Um, just so that I don't end up being the only one not smoking because I've run out of red. So, is, there, uh, is there any fat in that when, so in, the, in the display? So say you have is it five minutes of white and one minute each, of each colour. Yeah. Do you use the full minute of each uh, colour? Yeah, absolutely. Because the colour we use. It's we have a little bit of white left. Yeah. Um, uh, mainly for when we arrive because yeah. it's also um, a lot of people don't everything everyone thinks that smoke's there to look pretty but actually it's a critical safety element yeah. of our of our show um, especially for me and Red 7 um, on days like this actually where it's a little bit hazy the first thing I can see is his smoke um, I can't necessarily see him um, so I look for his smoke trail then see the aircraft and then I can pick him up and judge the mist distance. So actually, we're not allowed to display if our smoke system's not working. Um, so it, it is a critical. It, it looks really nice, yeah. but but it's also a critical flight safety element. Similarly, when we come into land, we use it to check the wind direction, um, so we can judge uh, weight turbulence um, issues, etc., uh, as we come into land. So we need to have a little bit left over for when we come into land. So would that, would that apply? To all aircraft, so even if one aircraft smoke system went down, that would be can the whole display. Red One can uh, can have a non-smoker. We call them. There is one okay. in the fleet that right. can't smoke, hasn't had the smoke mod, so yeah. he can fly it. Um, but the rest, uh, the rest, it's part. critical it's, for, yeah. for the front section needed. If it went mid-display, they'd probably continue. Um, well, they would continue. Uh, but for synchro pair, so you red six it. and seven, yeah. that's that's show over for us. Um, yeah, and if, if that did happen. And, and uh, let's not dwell on it happening, but would you just adapt the show? You guys would scoot yeah, off and exactly the, the, the rest of the show would carry yeah, on? It would, it would actually be pretty seamless. There'd be a little bit of a gap, obviously, where yeah. we would be, um, but the rest, the rest of the show would, would go on. Um, you know, it depends where it happens in the show as well. If yeah. it's on the last manoeuvre, then if I'm happy um, that I can... It's a nice day, it's very clear, I yeah. can see... Yeah. Um, you know, I can see Red 7 clearly, then we might just continue and p- complete that manoeuvre. But if it happened right at the beginning of the second half, um, that would be, uh, we'd, we'd, have to, we'd have to go home, sadly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> John, you've been very proactive in sort of adding to the choreography of the display. And uh, one of the new moves we've got this year is Boomerang, which I think you developed. How did you set about developing a new manoeuvre? Because pretty much all of them must have been done by now. Uh, absolutely. It's... <laughs> Um, it's one of those where you have to ask yourself before you even contemplate doing it is why hasn't someone done it before? <laughs> it's like, I'm not particularly clever. Like, I've got no wacky like, ideas. Yeah. There must be a reason why someone hasn't done it before. And that's normally because it's a bit dangerous. Yeah. So, um, you know, I spoke to other, um, other team pilots previous years. Have you ever thought of doing this? No. And um, it eventually the, co- the concept sort of... Um, Sort of just came from a few ideas I'd seen in the States when we went there and tour from the American display teams. They do some looping opposition passes, and I was like, "Well, the Reds haven't got that in their um, in their show." So um, I was like, "Right, we, we can probably make this work." And we also had the luxury of the early 2021 of um, or late 2020 of having a very la- um, a very a quiet, quiet, quiet period. period. Yeah. Um, which afforded us the training period as well. I'd already trained Red 7 in the opposition passes, 
So whereas in a normal season we'd be training towards you know just the basic manoeuvres that the Red Arrows have done for years, yeah. we actually had the luxury of having done that in yeah. 2020 yeah. that we can actually put a new things in for 2021. So we did some more of the complex manoeuvres that had been in before as well, like the mirror roll. Uh, but boomerang. Um, Essentially, once I've got the concept, I've run it through the, the appropriate chain of command just to get their take on it because they hold the risk on the manoeuvre, essentially. Um, risk assessments, all that good stuff. And then uh, eventually I, I just went off and did it on my own. So I started quite high, started up at around 1,000 feet. Oh, that's high, is it? Right. <laughs> yeah, there's no point doing any higher because the, the, um, the performance of the aeroplane is, is mm. not representative. No. Of down, even 1,000 feet it, yeah. is quite significantly different. And we fly all of our manoeuvres visually as well yeah. because we need to have the capacity to look out rather than stare at the instruments. Clearly, I'll have a look at my speed, I'll mm. you know, have a quick... But the rest of it has to be purely looking out the window, getting visual cues from the cliffs if we're here at seaside yeah. to just to judge height because my concentration's got to be on where Red 7 is yeah. uh, and flying my aeroplane. So I can't go heads in to... So the manoeuvre has to be designed to be flown perfectly visually, and you don't get those visual cues if you're any higher than really right, 300 okay. feet. Um, so anyway, I did it pretty much flying on instruments I, on my own. Clearly, I didn't have anyone else to avoid. So yeah. um, we did that, and actually we thought, oh, hang on a minute, this, this, could, this could work. Um, I then trained Red 7 in just the basic looping half horizontal um, that, that we do that sort of creates the other half of the manoeuvre. And then we thought, right, should we, uh, should we put it together? <laughs> um, I had to pick a still day because I wasn't sure how the wind would affect it because clearly we're going from 100 feet up to about 3,500 feet. Mm. And yesterday was a prime example, actually. We call it a left wind, so it was a wind from, uh, wind from the east um, at, at low level, so 100 foot. But actually, it was a wind from the west at high level. So um, it's just the sea breeze, yeah. kind of classic sort of seaside conditions in yeah. the summer. So that affects, clearly there's a left wind when we're down at 100 feet as we pass, but then as we go over the top of the loop, there's, oh, a, there's a westerly. So um, you have to sort of just play around how that's going to affect it. Um, and anyway, we, we put it together and we decided, oh, hang on a minute, this could work. <laughs> um, and then we had a few days where we had some really, really strong winds at Scampton. I was like almost a bit reluctant to practice it I was like we've got to go and see, we've got to go and see you know we've got all the safety protection in place that yeah. we know what to do if it hasn't quite worked out because the wind would have an effect on the positioning of the aircraft exactly that's the key that. thing exactly yeah. that so I will end up um, down down the hill from the loop quicker than Red 7 so how's that going to affect where we pass is yeah. he even going to be finishing his loop by the time I'm down all of those wow. sorts of things um, and we for all our other manoeuvres, we have different techniques to, we use to cater for the wind. So um, we essentially just applied those and see whether they'd work, and it turns out they did. Um, and then the um, sort of uh, commanding officer and, and the uh, duty holder came out and, and saw it in sort of February time, um, and everyone said, yeah, I think this, this will work. And, uh, yeah, so here it is. So hopefully a, a manoeuvre that's going to be long, uh, long in the Red Arrows um, sort of list of list of manoeuvres for years to come. Yeah, it should be called the Bond Boomerang, so that your well, name stays with it for all that time. We just keep it the Boomerang. <laughs> um, when you're doing your position passes, what's the lowest you come down to? It. 100 feet. It's 100 feet. Yeah. And we, we, one of your predecessors, uh, DT Dave Thomas, was talking about the fudge, yep. about how you you make the furthest one look look like mm-hmm. it's closer. When you have a a display here, you've got people 100 feet up on the cliffs and people on the beach. How do you decide where to do the fudge for? It's it? a great question, and um, it's one that myself and Red Seven, <laughs> where, where before we brief for a show, is where do we want to fudge to? Yeah. Be clear, clearly, here at Bournemouth, 
there's hundreds of people on the beach and there's hundreds of people <laughs> on the cliff. So uh, fortunately, the way it works out, we don't always get it right, so we do share the love between the <laughs> cliff fudge and the, uh, and the beach fudge. So, but actually, um, at the moment, we're fudging to the beach. Right. So, um, and our, our camera, our video camera, the where we get all our debrief tape from is actually on the cliff <laughs> so if seven hasn't made the fudge we know he's done it correctly because he would have made it for the people that were fudging to the beach however when he has made the fudge it's like, oh that's well that's not what we were fighting but it's 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 great because if it doesn't quite work out then at least everyone shares the love of that picture of two airplanes um sort of in very close proximity overlapping each other um so yeah, so we might change today. We might go for a cliff today, but um, <laughs> but it, but it does make a big difference where uh, Red Seven sits yeah. in relation to Marcel. Yeah. Um, so for example, down on the beach, uh, he has to um, just. So- we're also quite far away as well. Yeah. We're about five hundred meters off on the beach, just because we have to say a certain distance from the pier. Right. That's the closest. So that, that's because what we've noticed is, is that all the displays seem a little bit further away than they are at an airshow. Yeah, exactly. At, 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 a, at an airfield-based airshow, and that's because of we the pier, have to base um, our distance away off from the the nearest people. Essentially, right, yeah. so if they shut the pier, then we could do it, but. Um, no but clearly, they, you know, you, you need to keep the piers open yeah. for people to watch. So, um, we we do it 230 meters from the from the pier, right? Um, which puts us about 550 meters away. So from that's the, a, a fair bit further away than you're normally used so, to. So he has to be. So Red Seven has to. We call it softening the fudge. Right. Um, you can draw various diagrams with your hand and as you, as you look up into it. But so he has to make his fudge a little bit more subtle. Yeah. And for people on the cliff the fudge has to be even subtler so mm. almost co-altitude with yeah. us because um, obviously people are looking down into yeah. the show from mm. the cliff whereas the beach it doesn't so much because people are looking up into yeah. it so it's you know we, we make the joke that someone always gets the fudge <laughs> <laughs> so we just keep it at that the cat so, always gets someone the cream. will get it but uh, those are minuscule adjustments it seems to me which uh, the kind of speed you're doing and the manoeuvres you're doing seems an incredible undertaking yeah, it's it's months of practice to be honest. Um, that that allows us to be able to do that. If yeah. if we weren't a full time display team, that, that we would never be able to do that. Yeah. It's three times a day, five days a week during wow. the winter, yeah. doing that, and we can you know really hone that. Yeah. Essentially, you want to be doing it in a second nature manner. You don't you if you start if you're thinking too much during the display, then that, that's not right. It just yeah. needs to it just needs to flow, and it just needs to be very natural. Uh, and your hands and feet just work without you having to tell them to. Sure. Uh, that's the sort of stage that we need to get at because then you can start thinking about the things that start to go a little bit off piece. So you've got a, um, a st- uh, an uneven wind, or you know you've got a wind wind that's not forecast. Um, you've got intruders into the airspace, so yeah. you get um, aircraft that aren't aware of our restricted airspace coming in. We have to stop the display. Little things like that um, when they. Um, come into the show and, and make it go a little bit off piste it's that's what you need to use your capacity on thinking yeah, about yeah. or if an aircraft has an emergency for example something goes wrong because the rest of the rest of it is second nature the flying of course. is second nature you've yeah. got that extra spare bit of capacity to think about the stuff that goes wrong yeah. that you're not expecting yeah. so that's the sort of stage level that we need to get at yeah can I ask you, um, during a couple of the manoeuvres, uh, Andy on commentary will talk about, I think, Reds 8 and 9 having to work really hard because they're on the outside of, of a, a big turn. Can I just ask you what they're doing? Why that? I mean, I think I know kind of a bit about why it's so hard, but could you just explain how you, as on the outside of the formation, how you actually 
do that? Absolutely. They've definitely got the hardest job. In, in some of the bigger shapes we've got to this year, so Swan and Big Vixen, yeah. where they're three aircraft out, um, that, that is uh, a lot of work for them. Um, essentially, they have to move. If you imagine a big slinky, if they moved when the boss moved, yeah. they would call behind it. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't see the, the wing rise. If you're on the left and you're in a right-hand turn, if they, were, if they went when the boss went, you know, you'd see an aircraft massively behind the wing as it goes up. So they essentially have to move before the boss has even, even said sort of his, his cadence will be coming right now. Yeah. They're sort of going on the ing of coming. They're already putting an input in. <laughs> Amazing. To, to re- re- essentially rise up above the yeah. main plane of the wing of uh, the formation to enable that nice straight line that you get in a turn yeah. of all aeroplanes um, sort of nicely in a line sloping down towards the boss. So in terms of controls, how are you doing that? If you're on the upper part of that, that role, are you going into a nose-up attitude? And if you're on the lower part, are you going to a nose-down? Absolutely. Um, they use a lot of rudder as well on the outside of the turns, the guys, just to, uh, yeah. just to get the momentum of the aeroplane going. Yeah. Um, so if you're on the uh, outside of the turn, you'll be leaning a bit of pitch up a little bit of inter-turn rudder as well and clearly inter-turn aileron um, just to make sure that you know you get that straight line that that you want to create as you go up so and the inputs are so tiny as well but you have to go early we call it go earlier <laughs> earlier than less with less but it's um you know it's such a small input and um, as long as you get the timing right then that input stays the same the whole way but if you're behind it as you say so you're behind the boss's cadence then and you'll naturally put a bigger input in um, but that input won't be correct and you'll end up through the formation so through the main plane of the wing and the formation and um, you know, that's when it starts to look a bit scrappy so it's all about timing for them and the, the old red arrows adage earlier with less so mm-hmm. earlier timing with less of an input is, is the way forward Would it be possible to ever do a, a reds display without radio? Could or do you, you need no, that? We would, we'd have you to have, have to communication have is, is key with us in, in everything we do, really. Yeah. So, with not just within the formation, but with Red 10 on the ground as yeah. well. So, um, yeah, we, you, you have, we have to have radio comms with, with everyone, really. John, just before we let you go, obviously, this is your final year. Uh, and in fact, this is your first time in Bournemouth for three years, because, of course, in 2019 or 2018? 2018. 2018, as you mentioned earlier, you had oh, sorry, the tour. 2019, we went there. 2018 20, was the last time. Sorry, last time, yeah. So, 2019 yeah. was the tour to the States. Was that a highlight of your time in the Reds? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, you don't often get, I think we took 12 jets in the end across, across the pond yeah. to display in America and Canada. Um, yeah, that's a once-in-a-lifetime thing in, in any sort of military aircraft, let alone Red Arrow. So, uh, yes, clearly a highlight, but, you know, uh, 2018 was the 100th anniversary of the Royal Air Force. Yeah. That was a cracking year to, to be a part of as well, the fly past down the mile. Yes. Um, and then, you know, th- these last two years have been special in, in, in sort of in different ways. It, the very few fly pasts we did last year, 2020, and the, the three displays I think we did, almost meant more than, than anything else we'd d- I'd done in those previous years because clearly it was such a strange and bizarre time for everyone. Yeah. Uh, and everyone was having a, a lot worse day than, than we were. But um, it's, you know, it, the appreciation that we got from people who hadn't seen us, especially this year for sort of 18 months, almost trumps anything else that, that we've done, to be honest, um, especially 
um, in summer last year when we were flying, flying over London for, we had D-Day anniversaries um, we did a, a joint um, joint fly fast with the, the French display oh that theme. was stunning um, yeah and you know the reaction we felt clearly that the, the streets of London were completely empty. There was no one there. But as we flew over London, you could see people in on balconies, rooftops. Yeah. There's some rooftops I thought never existed in London. <laughs> people managed to managed yeah. to find their way up onto. Um, that for me, you know, New York, um, all the fly passes we did in in America were special. Mm. 2018 was special, but. There was something about last year and just the very few things we did that sort of stand out. We'll probably live longer in the memory than, than the other ones. Do you find when you tour that the reaction is different from, from the UK crowds? I mean, are you... Yes. Is, is it a big, a big difference? There's one thing that, again, will stand out from the 2019 tour to America that no, I don't think any of us sort of cottoned onto before we went that this would be their most, the, fav- the, biggest, the biggest thing ever for the, the American and Canadian crowd the coloured smoke really and I had not MB that the American display teams and the Canadian display teams only have white and it didn't click with me (laughs) at all until everyone goes oh we're loving the coloured smoke and we're like like, and quite know, fortunate, we just get used to it. We, uh, you know, I, I, think I suppose being red, white, and blue, they thought it's for the Americans as well. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, and that was just such, something really small that we thought, oh wow, that's actually made had a massive impact. It, just literally seeing aeroplanes with red and being able to interchange between them throughout. Yeah. Are you expecting them to copy that now, or is others? <laughs> I think they might have tried. I think oh, one yeah. of the teams may have tried, but oh, uh, I'm not sure. You're not giving any I'm secrets sure away. How it worked, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so that it was just one of those things that. You know, you think about everything before you go out. You know, how is it going to be received, etc. And I just did not think about we're the only team that you know display over there that has coloured smoke. What's um, What's next for you, John? Um, I'm going Reds. back to the Typhoon. So um, I'm going back to um, frontline squadron that I left actually before I joined the Reds, which would be great. So almost full circle. Um, so yeah, really looking forward to that. Uh, it's a fantastic aeroplane, as I'm sure everyone's seen this week at uh, Bournemouth, but. Uh, so yeah, looking forward to that. Something a bit different. I think we need. Uh, it's always good to have some fresh, fresh blood in uh, into the Reds and keep keep the keep the tradition and the uh, the standard of excellence uh, as good as it will always been as it, as it goes as we go sh- through the years. I'm sure we'll be keeping a close eye on them as well. Uh, I, do you know what? I generally cannot wait to wait to watch a Red Arrow show. <laughs> I haven't seen one since 2017. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're pretty good. I'm genuinely yeah, they're not I'm, bad. Yeah, I'm bad. I think you like forward them. to coming yeah. to Bournemouth maybe next year, oh, sitting there on the beachfront, nice and relaxing, watching the boys do their thing. Um, and I, I generally cannot wait to watch it. Have you selected next year's new pilot? We have, yes. yeah, yeah. So they've already started with us actually oh, really? training back okay. at Scampton, just doing their. They have to do a few basic sorties yeah. um, just to get used to. Are the they going to be right? Do you think? I think they'll be out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're. Uh, there's always the old joke is, oh, myself and uh, Steve Morris who's leaving as well. I was like, right, how do we find a way of? Uh, of breaking their legs or something like that. <laughs> how, how can we? How can we manage to? Uh, how can we stay in another year? There must be a way. <laughs> or, or just trying to put them off. Just trying to put them. On. Nah, it's rubbish, mate. You don't. You don't, you don't want to do it. It's, oh. Yeah, it's not probably not for you. But no, they'll be great. And um, I look. As I said, I really look forward to seeing them display next year. Brilliant, John. Thank you so much for your time. As I say, thanks thank for all the entertainment over the years you've provided us as part My of pleasure. the team. And best of luck with the future. Thank you very much. Pleasure to talk to you. Cheers.
uh, we are now currently in very esteemed company. We're with two red arrows. We've got Red 10 Adam Collins, who d- gives the commentary at all the displays. Brilliantly, I must just say. And David Montenegro, or Monty, who is, of course, a former leader of the team. And now, is this a new role, David, that didn't exist before, that you are now taking on? We've always had a wing commander uh, on the team, and in 2012... The wing commander became the squadron commander. It used to be Red One used to do everything, but we just separated that slightly. So having been a previous Red One, now I've come back uh, four years later now into Bournemouth as, as a squadron commander. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, I'm so lucky. Th- third bite of the apple, really, for me <laughs> yeah. with the team. That never happens. <laughs> yeah. no. Until now. No, unless you're Mike Ling. When you just kept on coming back, didn't he? I think. Yeah, he, he did. And I mean, there's been uh, quite a few team members for you know, circumstances driven them back into the team for various periods. But um, it, it's phenomenal actually to see the be part of the generation of the team. You know, yeah. I was in Bournemouth 2009 was my first display year as yeah. Red Three. To now be back in 21 as the, the squadron commander, yeah. um, just see how the evolution you know, un- unfolds. Really, yeah. superb. So, so, what is your role now within the team, and how frustrated are you by not? being up there I think having been so lucky to do three years as Red One I'm really content now (laughs) to watch Tom Bold who's in his first year as Red One go through the challenges that you know come with that job it's a brilliant brilliant it's the best seat in the house from a flying perspective but I find it really fulfilling. <laughs> the head from yeah, really yeah. fulfilling to be on the other side of the equation. So in, in the winter, I'm you know I'm doing the training, the mentoring um, for all the team members. But then looking out for the rest of the 126 yeah. of us. You know, it's the pilots do the delivery side, but the support element with all of our engineers, mm. all of our operational staff. Um, I, you know, I lead the welfare, discipline, everything that goes with the team, and. Uh, I love it. I took over the, the day of lockdown, so I couldn't have had a better challenge <laughs> as, a, as a squadron commander. Yeah. Um, it's it's been awesome. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, a completely different lens to be a part of the squadron from yeah. Red One. Emails or flying? <laughs> I do prefer flying, <laughs> <laughs> but to be able to know that you're kind of doing that, so Red One doesn't have to, and you know, Adam and everyone else can concentrate on doing this side of the job. It's great. How often do you get the chance to jump into a jet yourself and um, and throw one around the sky? In the winter training period, I'll fly with the team once or twice a week. Uh, When we're transiting around um, onto big international shows, we all take 11 aircraft. So rather than being right at the front, I'm right at the back now. (laughs) So I get to see the the organised chaos in front of me rather than just hoping it was going all right behind me. And it's great. I mean, actually, I I love being at the back of the formation now. Um, But yeah, I don't don't fly anywhere near as much as I used to. I really value it now. Yeah. Um, not that I didn't as, as a team leader, yeah. but you were flying I mean, every day, three times a day. I felt more at home in the cockpit than I probably did in my actual home, which is probably not the best circumstance yeah. to be in. Whereas now, when I strap the jet on, I, I really enjoy my one hour or two hours a week. Um, and, and to be honest, to be in my mid-40s and still flying a fast jet around, um, it's, uh, yeah, I'm not complaining. Okay. It, it's awesome. <laughs> And Adam, you, you shook your head when you, he said he had the best seat in the house. You, you think yours is potentially? Um, yeah, well, more, <laughs> I wouldn't say a shake of the head, maybe a raise of the eyebrow. But um, yeah, certainly my role, as you said, I do commentate the show. My main role is actually safety supervision of the team throughout the training period and the display. Uh, but probably the most fun part of my role is flying the team photographer. So when we're doing display practices, we'll do an aerobatic photo chase, getting the video and the images of the formation manoeuvres and the aerobatics happening. 
But then when we do our big tours or if we're doing significant fly pass, then I'll be flying to the side of the formation or above them or wherever is appropriate to get the shot that we need. So there are various images burnt into my memory banks, certainly from the North America tour, flying yeah. over the Golden Gate Bridge, New York, various other places. So I think um, a lot of the time Red One has the best seat in the house, but there are certain times where looking down on the formation, getting the photographer into that perfect position, <laughs> yeah. um, I get the opportunity to soak that up, whereas everyone else is, is concentrating on the team leader and, and, and working hard to stay in formation. We were having a chat with the photographer actually unfortunately off microphone a short while ago but who um, literally calls the shots in that situation because obviously you've got nine other aircraft flying fairly close to you but you can't tell precisely can you what shot he's after or where what position you're in in terms of what he's seeing through his viewfinder so it's a real as with everything we do it's a real team effort and the main thing when you're photo chasing is as with everything we do is safety so i need to be out of the way of everybody if somebody has a an, an emergency or an issue with the aircraft i need to be out of the way so if they need to get out of the formation i'm not in the wrong place if you like so in terms of getting that shot the safety comes first and then the shots we're after come second we'll have a chat before we fly about what we want to try and achieve from it um fletch the photographer might have his dream shot that he's he wants to get but if i can't safely put the aircraft in that position it's never going to happen so we'll we'll strike that compromise i'll have a fair idea of shots i think would look good as well Mm. and then we go out and try and execute that as with everything we'll try and take the sun and things into account but situations present themselves whilst you're flying you think actually this is going to look great i'm now going to do this i'll talk to fletch tell him what i'm going to do say right the shot's going to be outside the right hand side of the aircraft in about 10 seconds Mm. roll around get him in the position and then we'll try and get it so there is a lot of planning that goes into it but there is a little bit of luck as well so just getting that right the light the shadow on the ground might suddenly look amazing that you can't really you can't really foresee that even with the best will in the world knowing Mm. where the sun is being an expert photographer as he is Mm. there are just certain situations where you get there and you think right this is going to look great let's Mm. let's now do this Mm. as 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 10 do you ever act as as a sort of whip uh, to to adjust the formation or is that not required with the reds not it's not generally required unless we're doing something bespoke so the formation references that the guys fly are so practiced and so ingrained that they know when they're on the correct position so that the standard formations we do for example over Wembley or the big fly pass that's bread and butter for us the only time that whipping comes in um, the term that's used for another aircraft finessing the formation position is really when we're doing either a mixed formation with a large aircraft or we've got other aircraft in the formation for a very specific reason so for example um, flying on the wing of uh, a 747 as we did at Riyadh a couple of years ago um, as well as taking the photos there I would talk to Reds 2 and 3 who are the closest to the 747 to say right this is how you need to adjust your position to make it look right exactly it's a new reference for them it's not something we'd have had chance to practice so I've got that 30 seconds a minute to talk to them and say okay adjust in this respect to make that look symmetrical once they've got that they're then on their own and i'll concentrate on getting the pictures and we saw a rather lovely photo the other day you put up of the um with the pole it was the polish um hawks as well so we had, there was something like 15, yeah, so we, 15 we, hawks in one we were shot in um, in poland and they're actually so there were nine aircraft from our team plus me 
then there were the four Finnish Midnight Hawks. We actually had then a, a Skyvan camera ship as well, which was getting some of the aircraft. <laughs> and that kept so, up, <laughs> uh, yeah, not quite. We were he was he was flying pretty slowly, and then we were race tracking round overtaking him. But in that respect, I had the team of nine, the team of four to avoid, so thirteen aircraft doing the same speed, and then the Skyvan going much slower, also taking what pictures. What could possibly go wrong? Well, that's the thing. You have to take all of that into account, and that's where getting the ideal shot comes second to, to the safety but as you saw we managed to get some great shots and the photographers mm, looking out fantastic. the back of the sky van getting those head-on shots which are quite difficult to get mm. from another hawk yeah. um, so a real a good combination of pictures from that and, and great fun to do as well great monty we were lucky enough to speak to tom bold just before christmas just you know as he was just getting into the swing of being the new red one he was obviously very excited about it he couldn't tell us too much about new formations but there is quite a new looking display now which not that many people will have seen and Bournemouth is going to be a terrific showcase for you isn't it it is so last year we actually did what's called a team freeze because we didn't know how much training opportunity we'd get in the covid environment we kept reds two to nine for an extra year in the same position and that proved to be a, a really good decision because we were quite hampered through the winter with you know, various issues that were going on, uh, not just in the team, but you know, the support elements that keep flying going. But what it gave Tom as the new team leader is he knew he could design a really complex show. So the show you see this today uh, throughout 2021 is as complex as it gets for the Red Arrows. Uh, if you look at the, the first half where you've got the, what's called the swan to Fred loop, really, really difficult to do. And even though they're in their second year in the same position, they're still working really hard. Oh, there's yeah. some big trumpets about to go behind us, oh, I think, on this. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Impeccable timing. We might come back to it if you like. So, Monty, we were just talking about um, Tom coming in as the new boy. Yes. And, and what that's given him to work with in terms of creating a new display. Yes, uh, technically very difficult, um, uh, brilliantly complex this year as, as a display. So we were talking about the Swan to Fred loop in the first half. The big Vixen roll is the widest formation that any aerobatic team does a 360 rollover. So Reds 8 and 9 are working really hard to make that look perfectly symmetrical. Um, with you know the, the speeds they're travelling and, and the distance they're flying, for Tom here, Bournemouth is just a really great display location. It's it's a nice straight line as in the coastline. Um, the way that they set up the visual features are really really good, and he's the only one that really gets a snapshot. I think in that first half of the display to really just take it in. You know, look at what might may be. I don't know, two hundred fifty thousand people. Yeah. I mean, there aren't many performance, live performance events around the world that you capture that many people. Yeah. Um, and I used to give myself just half a second of stepping out of the display, looking at it, and then, you know, immediately getting the, the brain focused. But the second half is going to be really good this year. Uh, Scrum leader John Bond is Red Six, and he had a concept that he wanted to bring in called Boomerang. We did four months of risk assessment, trials, and the nice thing about Boomerang is it's a, it's a really... Uh, laterally long manoeuvre so it, it actually covers about six miles of ground track in total two opposition passes each of them loop at either end of the display line up to 3,000 feet so no matter where you are on the coast front here you, you'll get to see the boomerang but the real challenge is what I, I ask everyone to look out for is they pass at display centre 
they then travel around six miles um, laterally, then up in the and then they have to pass at exactly the same point, and that takes um, that takes real capability. Yeah. It's not just yeah. about training; it's about how good Gregor and John are <laughs> yeah. on the day, every day with that manoeuvre. So, yeah, yeah r- really good display. Um, yeah, awesome to watch from my perspective from the ground and. What's really nice is I now get to see the response on the ground. <laughs> yeah. You know, Red Turn, you know, Cos has been doing this and he whips up the crowd with his brilliant <laughs> commentary. And I get just to stand back a bit and know that every single of those thousands of emails are well yeah. worth it because this is what, yeah. you know, this and, is what and it does. does it really mean something to the pilots to be able to see that crowd down there? It does. It depends where you're on the formation. Reds yeah. two, three, four, five, they're all staring at red one. And I don't think I could have been displaying on the moon when I was red three. <laughs> and it wouldn't have made a difference yeah. apart from clearly the gravitational force. <laughs> but <laughs> when you are red six, um, I think red six and red one, they're the two formation positions where you do get to take yeah. it in a bit. But actually, what, what you very much feel in the brief, uh, in terms of raising the performance profile... It does depend on where you're displaying. And you know there's a big crowd here. So it's, I used to love this bit of the job, and I know Tom does. He has to temper that type of adrenaline build so that you're not, you know, you're not over-revving before you get in the aircraft. You're mm. perfectly balanced. Um, so you hit the right arousal level. And I could see times in certain displays, and we used to have it here in Bournemouth, but once you've done the first two days and the momentum has built, and then you see on the Saturday, we've got almost a quarter of a million people here making sure that it's hard to describe but you're just keeping yourself uh, in the right kind of psychological kind of compartmentalised mm. ready to deliver the display um, to then get down come and meet the public afterwards and then see you know all the engagement that's going here on the seafront it's um, I used to really enjoy that and there are other shows when you're a bit under aroused to be frank just because it might be the, the 14th in the last 12 days yes. and you have to build build them up again um, it's, it's yeah, really interesting I love that part of the job Adam, so, um, one of my previous jobs with the Red Arrows was to <laughs> deliver Red Ten. <clears throat> so I used to be an instructor at Shawbury, and one of our weekend jobs was to. Do- that must be the best part of your of your job, isn't it? Going in a helicopter. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. a lot of helicopter. So a lot of helicopter sad. pilots say that actually. It's the most dangerous. We still do have great support from the Central Flying School at Shawbury. So because of the the number of displays we do in a season and the number of displays we try and um, fit into a, the average week in the summer, um, without the help of the, the guys from Shawbury, I simply wouldn't be able to get where I need to be on yeah. time. I'm generally on the ground about 90 minutes before the start of the show, so I can talk to the flying display director. Yeah. I can look at the show site, look at the hazards, report back do, to do the you team have to, leader. Do you have to attend the pilot's briefing? Is that- uh, it depends on if I can, I will. Yeah. Um, but if we're doing more than one show a day it's not always possible um quite often the show brief will be in the morning and then everyone who's at that show is just doing that show for the day we might have displayed already somewhere else and then flown in so that gives me an opportunity on the way in on the helicopter to look at the show site from above take pictures with the wonders of modern science whatsapp them to the team leader so when he's looking because in the hawk remember we don't have a head-up display we don't have a moving map we don't have any really any avionics to help the team leader we've got a stopwatch a compass and um and route study map study and a very rudimentary gps so if i can send a photograph back to the team leader saying look at datum the center of the show you've got a white marquee with pink spots all over it if he can spot that on the run-in then that's a really good reassurance for him that he's he's hitting the mark on the arrival it could be that there's some hazards that when i've done the site survey um haven't been there so for example a crane or something like that 
So getting there early with the helicopter means I can assess that, send photos back, and we're in a position then for me to supervise the show uh, appropriately. Quite often the helicopter will then be waiting for me, move me either onto the next location or back to where the aircraft are, and then I'll join up with everybody else and fly um, along with them onto the next show site. So, yeah, critical support we, we um, have from them. And it's not always the Shawbury guys, to be honest. I was uh, very lucky this weekend that um, going to the Isle of Man, we actually had the, uh, the Royal Flight supporters, so had an Augusta 109, uh, took us across, which a uh, very, very comfortable way to travel. Um, but again, for safety reasons primarily, but logistically getting me to the right place at the right time okay and just talk if you would just a little bit about being back at Bournemouth for the first time in two years because we've heard how much this this location means to the display teams here it's a great location I mean airfield show sites are brilliant uh, Riyadh, the big shows like that but when you come down to the, the British seaside great weather, I mean it's, the sun's not quite shining today but the cloud base is high, the winds are light it's good visibility, it's, it's good display flying weather, knowing there's going to be potentially a million people here over the weekend enjoying themselves, not just with the flying but everything else that's going on on the ground um, as we talked about already there is, there is a real buzz to it and, and knowing that there's that many people it, it's a special place for us to come back to as the team and one of the uh, premier events that that has so much associated with it other than just being a pure air show gents thank you so much for your time thank you really good to meet you and uh, have a great weekend thank you thank you thank you, thank you. Well, a huge thanks to everyone who took time to talk to us. And remember, you can hear more interviews from the Bournemouth Air Festival and all our top landing gear podcasts wherever you normally get your podcasts from. You can also follow us on social media at Top Landing Gear and get in touch with us by email at info at toplandinggear.com. That's info at toplandinggear.com, two Gs. Thanks for listening. <laughs>